0: I think we misinterpret the um, the concept of acceptance. But acceptance doesn't necessarily have to mean agreement. When the hand of death kind of brushes across your cheek and, and becomes mm. becomes much more real, I think that's often the turning point for some people. You know, happiness is a byproduct of discipline and that, and that seems sometimes counterintuitive. But for me, that's the way it works, certainly in my life. I started to realize that, you know, um, I wasn't the only person in the world with a with a with a tough story, and the, uh, you know, over the arc of my life, I've been pretty lucky.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business. We do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information Kerwinray.com. so ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to unstoppable today asher Packman. great to have you here asher
0: it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me
1: Mate, it is it is an honour and um, as I was saying just before we jumped on, like uh, the Unstoppable podcast really is about, you know, talking to those individuals who've had some pretty incredible stories that would, you know, almost epitomise them as, uh, you know, unstoppable in nature and, you know, I know we've had you speak for our K2 Elites before and you ran some, um, some meditation and some breathwork sessions for our K2 Elites, which has been fantastic. So I've got a little bit of an insight into your history and your background and what you've been through. Um, But what I am curious to know, and I ask all my guests this, like when you're in a dinner party and there's, you know, let's say there's eight people around around that table that don't know who you are, uh, and someone asks you, so what is it that you do? How do you answer that question?
0: The honest truth is, mate, it probably depends on who those eight people are, you know?
1: (laughs) That's what everybody says.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Look, I mean, generally, it's going to be something around, um, you know, health and well-being um, or potentially um, to be more accurate around mindset. So, you know, and,
1: and that's your jam. Like you, you're a globally recognised mindset coach, meditation teacher, but you've also, you know, combined um, heart math with a lot of what you do and other other philosophies and, and and other lessons and learnings. So, what is it that you do? Like when with, with what you offer to the world, what do you do?
0: Well, basically, um, I tend to kind of come from that place where people um, who've had similar experiences to me and have gotten stuck along the way, I find myself sitting in front of those people a lot. So I do, I do private one-on-one sessions with people. Yeah. Um, I also work as a, as, a, as a meditation teacher through my studio uh, down in Melbourne, um, and, and that can take the form of, of heart math, uh, which we can talk about a little, a little later in terms of how that specifically relates to meditation and meditation styles. Um, but I also do a lot of work with men, so I'm working with men in groups um, at the moment. Uh, a large chunk of my time is is taking a big group of men through a kind of initiation, uh, rites of passage style course, which is which is over over eight weeks.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, and that's that kind of thing. It's interesting that uh, the men seem to be more and more open, but also m- more and more open to the support that is required, you know, when we look at things like rider passage, because I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of men around today who perhaps have come into the world, but they haven't really been shown how to do things, you know, in a way that is as healthy as a male. So mate, you're, as I said, your your history is, is quite an eclectic one. And it's, you know, for being a globally recognized um, mindset coach and meditation teacher, most people may not know whether it all began for you, but where did it begin for you? Like, where were you born?
0: yeah I was born in Melbourne and uh, pretty stock standard um, suburban Melbourne boy um, nothing too um, too outrageous there uh, and then basically was was living a kind of you know traditional life went to school went to university went and got a job did all the things and uh, and then had some some big changes in my life some some massive shifts which kind of caused me to to really have a look at at, at what I was doing on the planet and trying to make a bit more meaning out of my existence and the time that I had here. And um, as a result, kind of took a 180 degree turn from, from the corporate life, which was going well, um, mm. as a, you know, at least externally, um, and, and, and you know, changed my focus to what I'm doing right now.
1: And so let's, let's talk about what some of those things were, because you, you had a, a high-flying career. What were you doing?
0: Well, at the end, I was basically working for, as it was then, AOL Time Warner. Uh, I was a yeah. vice president there, looking after uh, communications. So I had a couple of regions under my belt. I was looking after Asia and Europe, and yeah, it was a, it was a pretty pretty full on job. Um, when I left there, I started my own uh, PR agency, which became multinational pretty quickly, and and things were things were, were going uh, really really well. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, I felt I felt like I, I was I was able to make a success you know, on my corporate career, and I felt like things things came, you know, not easily, but I felt like I knew what I was doing. Yeah.
1: And what was the first thing that gave you a little bit of a nudge?
0: Oh, mate, you know specifically, um, and you know this story, so you know where I'm going. But yeah, I'm, I'm take myself back to. Um, 2007 and I was in Dubai and uh, I was literally about to get up on stage and, and speak at a marketing conference there. And I uh, had a phone call from, from my mom and she told me that my sister had committed suicide, um, taken her own life. And from that, from that moment on, everything for me changed. You know, my younger sister, my only sibling, and uh, yeah, um, obviously got on a plane and came back home as, as, as fast as I could. And, and from that point on, my life was just, was just completely different
1: and what was the shift that takes place cuz you know that's one thing that everyone is affected differently by different things but it's interesting cuz i hear this time and again where people are affected by mortality in it and it makes them stop and it makes them think in different ways so when you got that call like it seems to me there was a significant shift that followed from that but are you conscious of how that played out in your head
0: at the time i wasn't but obviously looking back now i can i can see exactly what you're saying and it's quite interesting that you bring up kind of death as a as a, as a turning point for some people when, you have, when, when, when the hand of death kind of brushes across your cheek and, and becomes mm. becomes much more real. I think that's often the turning point for some people. And even looking at, at what's going on in the world right now, there's a huge part of that, which I believe is kind of our relationship to death more broadly um, and, and how we viewed that. Um, so for me, yeah, in hindsight, absolutely. That, that was that was the point um, where I guess I, I faced my own mortality in some sense. Through 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 what happened to my sister, and I kind of turned the lens and started looking inside here about what it was, who I was, what it, what it was that I wanted out of life, and and what I could give to the world.
1: Was there an immediate shift in your behaviour in terms of what your focus was? Because I know there was a, a transition at some point out of business. Was this what kind of led to you getting out of the high flying corporate arena and and into the mindfulness space?
0: that that first incident w- w- with my sister definitely caused me to slow down um okay you know, i ended up coming coming back home um, i was living in hong kong at the time um and but i still stayed in the business world more or less but i definitely took my 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 foot off the pedal and so for me it was kind of the beginning of what i like to call a conscious descent and i believe that you know everything in life you know we, we're sort of taught that everything is up aren't we you know what I mean, man? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's success, ascension, up, up. Everything needs to be up. And I think at some point in someone's life, you need to actually go in the other direction and and, and build some deep roots. And if we don't do that work ourselves, then the universe kind of has a funny way of, of, of chucking us down that way anyway, through, through events, you know, be that... Um, Health, or, or a divorce, or, or, or a bankruptcy, or something like that, which causes us to turn the dial and look inward and 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 go down for a while, and perhaps feel grief and 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 look at death and all these things which we tried to avoid our whole lives.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I always look at these signs like feathers, bricks, and trucks. You know, the universe will give you a tickle, and if you ignore it, it'll give you a knock on the head. And if you keep ignoring it, then it's going to smack you in the face. And to me, it sounds like this when your when your sister passed, that was a li- that was a little bit of uh that was more of a a, a truck-based exercise. But do you think you you listened at that point, or, or was there still more to come?
0: Yeah, and look, I definitely like that analogy, and I can take it back even further because I'd felt um, this kind of let's call it a gnawing sensation in my gut for a long time that that you know I wasn't quite on my path that things needed to be different. And whilst I was getting the success in the external world, there was still a part of me inside. And this is this is the feather, you know, um, yeah. there was definitely something that wasn't wasn't quite right that um, that I needed to look at. But of course, you know, the more success you get and the more the sort of outer world kind of validates what's going on for you, you don't tend to look at it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you that um, obviously losing my sister it was, a, was a very significant brick. Um, but yeah, there, there was more to come and and um, I, as I said, I was still, I still wasn't quite there yet, and I was still looking externally for, for validation and, and things like that. But um, I guess the next step in the in the in that process came in 2010. My mother, who'd been sick prior to, to, to my sister's passing, um, but was largely kind of in remission from cancer um, after after my sister passed, um, she became very very ill, um, and in in 2010 um, she decided to, to, um, end it herself as well. Um, although obviously in very different circumstances for my sister, in the sense that my mum was extremely ill. Um, yeah. Uh, was it
1: unexpected? And, were you, were you conscious of the decisions that she was making at that time?
0: Um, look, yes and no, you know, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You sort of look yeah. back and, and it, it's, it's yes and no. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, she was, she was very, I mean, her courage that she, and her bravery that she showed even getting to the point that she did, I was, I was in constant amazement.
1: And what happened next? Like, cause obviously this is in fairly short succession. What year was it when your sister passed? Was that?
0: Yeah, this was a couple of years later.
1: Yeah. A couple of years later. Mm, and yeah. so when your mum passed by this stage, had you exited the corporate world at this stage or were you still hanging in there? And
0: I was hanging um, in there and I'd, I'd sort of brought everything back. To a much more manageable level, so I wasn't like flying around the world the whole time, and basically, okay. you know, it was in a much more manageable state. But you know, um, about around about six weeks after after Mum passed, um, I, I got diagnosed with a with a blood cancer. So that was kind of that that was that was the moment.
1: You know, it's interesting because there's some be some people at this point be going, "Fuck, when it rains, it pours," doesn't it? But <laughs> I, I, I it guess from through. your yeah, yeah, but I guess from your perspective, these this sounds like you know three back-to-back considerable challenges. How, you know, with the with the with the gift of hindsight, you know, and a wise mind, when you look back on those on those situations that came to pass, like how critical were they on the journey in terms of the journey, in terms of that intersection for you to be where you are right now?
0: Oh, completely critical. You know, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because. um, it's funny how we label things as good or good or bad and then you sort of, mm. 10 years down the track, you look back and you think, well, if it wasn't for those things, then X, Y and Z wouldn't happen. And, and, and you know, you, you can't actually look at it as a bad thing anymore. You just have to see it. Well,
1: as- I guess that's where I'm going. So at the time, you know, you get dealt this third blow, you know, you've, you've just been diagnosed with a rare blood cancer at, at this point. Like, are you, are you entering the space of, <laughs> and, you know, uh, a balanced awareness and, and, and you know, a, an introduction of conscious hindsight or were you just like, what the fuck's going on? What did I, did I run over, uh, you know, someone in a previous life to deserve this or where were you well, at?
0: Well, mate, um, you know, we're getting into it now. You, you, the, the space I actually entered at that point, mate, was four white walls because I ended up in a psych ward.
1: Wow. Yeah, right. And, and what, what triggered that? Like, what brought you to that place?
0: I think it was just overwhelmed, basically. Um, too much happened in, in too short a space of time. And I just, I had no resilience. I wasn't prepared for that. My, my, my life to that point had not taught me how to, um, h- how to be, I guess, resilient to that degree. You know, it was just yeah, too right. much, too quickly. And, and my, my brain just, just couldn't handle it. It was that case of, you know, when you say to yourself, I can't believe what's just happened. Like, yeah, I right. think I took that to the nth degree and I, I literally couldn't believe it. So my, everything just shut down.
1: And this is whilst you're in the early stages of the diagnosis for the blood cancer,
0: is it? Yeah, that's right. Wow.
1: And so how do you pull yourself out of this?
0: Yeah, look, you know, this is when the work... Because it's very
1: fair to assume at some point that, you know, there'll be a lot of people out there It's like, you know, I've lost sister, I've lost mum. I've now been diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. I'm, I'm, I've lost, I feel like I've lost the plot. I'm now in a, in a psych ward. I think a lot of people at that point would probably give up on everything.
0: Um, Why did yeah, you? Yeah, know? well, I, 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 I didn't obviously because I'm here now. Um, I think for me it was, it was the very depth of of that descent that I was talking about. And you know, I had an yeah, opportunity. Right. It was almost like a blank canvas. It was like, all right, well, you know, where to from here? Like this is, you know, there's certain aspects to this which you can't change. You're going to have to accept it. And and that's a really interesting point, Cohen. And, um, and I'm sure you've spoken about this before, but I think we misinterpret the um, the concept of acceptance. Um, yeah, I think, you I know, you hear a lot in the spiritual world, just accept, you know, just, just, just let it go, all that kind of shit. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But acceptance doesn't necessarily have to mean agreement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like getting my head around the fact that I accept this has happened. I'm not okay with it, but I need to accept that it's happened. Um, yeah. And that kind of two, that, that was a big turning point for me to kind of understand that.
1: And so what did that turning point look like? Was it while you were actually still in the hospital that you started turning it around for yourself? Or did it take a little bit of time uh, and a bit of distance before you started to, you know, feel yourself pulling it back together?
0: Look, there was definitely times. I mean, it's a really odd feeling, man, when you yeah. went you know, I mean, I remember how I had such resistance going even even going into that place. You know, there was there was all this I guess maybe it's part of this this self-reliance that men tend to kind of, particularly men tend to value so highly. it's like, I remember being at the front desk and filling in the form and everything in my head was just shouting at me, going, you don't need to be here. You don't, you can pull yourself out of this hole. But then there was another deeper part of me saying like, this is going to be good. Like there's almost like a rest from the world right now. Um, and, and, but it's a strange feeling, you know, when they, when they take away your, your shoelaces and take your belt off because, you know, they're worried, um, that you're going to do something. Um, and and having my family history meant that every single red flag in the book was <laughs> was really triggered. Was, was raised for me because it was like they didn't have to look too far to see what what the trend was. Um, so so yeah, but in that place, man, it was it was it was deep reflection to begin with, and deep and deep sorrow and and deep grief and and a lot of tears, for sure.
1: And and so, how did you start to pull yourself out? Like what was it that you gave you the sense of, okay, I can get myself out of this. I can see, I can see light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Well, you know what it was, man? It was, there's a lot of people in that, you spend a lot of time eventually after spending a fair bit of time self-reflecting, like um, listening to other people and, and sharing some stories with other people that are there in common areas. And I started to realize that, you know, um, I wasn't the only person in the world with a, with a, with a tough story and that, uh, you know, over the arc of my life. I've been pretty lucky you know I I'd, I'd lived all over the world I've done these amazing things and i had seen a lot of success and you know loved and and been loved and all these things and and sure you know this was this was this was a shocking place for me to be in but um I wasn't the lone ranger
1: and at what point did the mindfulness enter the world
0: yeah look I think um then um you know my mum had that About her, you know, she was she was into the Kundalini yoga and and lots of meditation and lots of other stuff. So it wasn't like it was brand new to me. Um, Yeah, she she lived in in Byron Bay for a very long time and had all the, you know, had had all that kind of stuff going on with all her friends in the community up there. So for me, that wasn't foreign to me, and I guess I was just naturally drawn to it. Um, And it was it was um, it was indicated that it would be a good idea even in the in the psych ward. Um, Yeah, right. So so I spent a bit of time just kind of. You know i guess sitting with myself which eventually kind of became meditation it wasn't like i hadn't done it before either i had dabbled in it over the years okay um, so and then I, and then um heart math came in along the line i think i was just reading something about it hearing something about it and it, it seemed to to make sense to me um also um I, i'm sure you're aware of guys like bruce lipton mm-hmm. so bruce was talking about you know the way he does about epigenetics and things, and I was making connections back to my cancer, and, and I started thinking, you know, is there a story I've been carrying around that um, led to the manifestation of this physical disease? And by the way, I think I know what that is, um, the yeah, story, right. um, and we can talk about that at, at some point for sure. But as, as I was listening to, to Bruce Lipton and others speak about this, um, I realized his connection back to, to heart math, and it, I kind of, you know, just kind of followed the thread, and that's where I ended up.
1: So for people who perhaps don't know what heart math is or aren't as familiar with it, what is heart math?
0: Heart math is about, um, uh, I guess, the heart is the most powerful organ in the body um, and, and it, sends, it sends the most signals to the rest of the body than, than any other organ, much more so than than the brain. And this idea that if we can have a, a nice aligning signal between our heart and our brain, which I'll call coherence, that we can make a huge change in terms of, it's almost like flow state, you know, Mm. Um, and, and a lot of great things can happen at a physical, physiological level, but, you know, well beyond that as well. Um, and so getting into that coherent state is almost, it's a form of meditation.
1: Did you find heart math helped take your meditation to another level?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was definitely the beginning point for me, cause I think a lot of what I'd been doing in my life is just building up walls around my heart. Right. So, you yeah. know, I think, I think what this, um, what this whole process did for me was just smash down the walls
1: yeah right i don't think any man in the country can relate to what you're saying <laughs> i um i was very grateful i came across HeartMath. gosh i think it was um oh five oh six um i was introduced to a little a little bit earlier i think when what the bleep first came out in the in the early 2000s and um, i still remember hooking myself up to the the heart math software uh to be able to recognize when i was in coherence and when I did that, uh, I then proceeded to wear a laptop for the next three months, um, about eight hours a day because I just wanted to see when I was in coherence, when I was out of coherence and what were the correlations and just get really familiar with what coherence feels like because I think it's much like you know meditation. Most people don't know what it feels like to be unstressed and so they just think stress is their normal baseline and so when they do start to feel relaxed, in some cases they feel like there's something wrong. And it was interesting when I started doing heart math, I experienced the same thing. I noticed that when I was in coherence, it felt very unusual. It didn't feel normal. And, I, and it really, the software gave me a real unique opportunity to just be able to sit in the space and visually see that I'm in coherence. But then I guess you could say kinesthetically, really start to tune in and go, right, what does this actually feel like? Um, and it was a, a huge help for me, not just in my meditation practice, but more so in my day to day conscious mindful practices. Um, so, from your perspective, like what have been some of the biggest benefits that you've received as a result of, you know, becoming more aware of the alignment between the heart and the brain and creating that coherence?
0: Yeah, look, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of understanding what it feels like first, isn't it? Because I know in my life, um, yeah, it's definitely a family trait to be anxious and, 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 and these types of, of, of states. And so for me, that was that was kind of my normal. So to understand what it felt like to not be that way. And I think you're right. I think it's true for, for you know, almost most people. Well, you know, whether on, you know, they're in the parasympathetic or the sympathetic, it's, it's unusual for them to feel relaxed. And often you'll say to, perhaps they're sitting at home watching TV and plus on their phone at the same time and all these different things going on And in their brain. They're saying, I'm relaxed. There's no way. Can, there's no way. You, this is this is me relaxing, sitting on the couch, yeah. because, and there's no way you can be um, in a relaxed state with all that stuff going on. So I, so I think you're right.
1: At what point did you enter into the realms of not just being a meditator and you know practicing heart math, but actually becoming you know a teacher in this space?
0: Well, the interesting thing was, and 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 I'm sure people will resonate with this, is is as I started to change and, and as I started to kind of be more aware of myself and started to become myself, I guess you could say in some senses, I found that people were starting to ask me questions, particularly guys. And, and, and in the end, I kind of was almost informally kind of teaching them heart math and, and, and talking through my experiences and feeling that they were resonating with that. And maybe, you know, they were leaving conversations with me perhaps better, armed for life than they were previously in some small sense. And and I started to feel like this is my calling. This is this is what I need to do. And so shifting shifting away from what I was doing before and, and more into this. Was
1: there a moment when you realized holy shit, this is because I'm gonna assume with the career that you've had, you you would have had many moments where you're like, oh my God, I've nailed it. I am success. I've created what I want. Then you go through this, you know, incredible transition. At what point did you, or do you remember the point where you're like, shit, this is not just something I wanna do. This is something that I actually want to do. You know, this is gonna be my business.
0: I don't think it was a specific light bulb moment, um, but you know, it was more of an organic process, but there was definitely a moment when I kind of look back over say a period of time, six months or a year and thought I have been doing this and, um, and it feels awesome and I wanna continue in this direction and expanding and widening and, and, and growing in this direction. Cause it just feels right on, on all level like at a soul level, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'd never, yeah. I'd never, I'd never experienced that feeling before where, you know, when you get up in the morning and you're just like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, and, and at what go- point, did- go, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'd never felt that before. So it was, it was extraordinary. And once again, it kind of cycles back. Cause it's like, well, you know, I need to be on the planet. And so, (laughs) because this is this is what I'm giving, yeah. yeah. And so it kind of like it's just kind of it's self fulfilling.
1: And when did the um when did breath work enter your life?
0: Breath work came in. It it was sneaking in just through through various forms of meditation and so forth. But the big the big um, the big moment around breath for me was was being introduced to the Wim Hof method. And for those who
1: perhaps aren't as familiar with breathwork as perhaps we are, how would you describe breathwork to anyone who's never who's not familiar with the concept?
0: Well you know I mean it simply begins with, it, uh simply focusing on the breath and working with the breath and understanding that everything begins from that point in terms of how you're showing up and it changes it completely changes your state resets your brain i mean cool and where do we start with that brother it's like well uh, and,
1: this you know, is, and this is the beautiful thing is because there's so, there's so many benefits and when you look at what you do and this is where i'm kind of culminating here um it's almost like you've you've worked out because to me i'm a performance obsessive right And if there are four things that I've identified that have been absolute critical factors when it comes to maintaining high levels of performance, meditation is number one. You know, if I'm not meditating every day, I can't perform at a high level. Uh, And the second one would absolutely undoubtedly be heart math because for me, flow state is critical for me to maintain, you know, the performance and the speed that that I run at. And so, you know, heart math plays a huge, a huge part of my life. And then looking at breath work, you know, for me, that's been so incredible, not just as a tool for resetting the autonomic nervous system when it's out of balance, when we are in stress, to be able to do it quickly, but also to be able to, in some cases, you know, release trauma and release, you know, um, energy and emotions that have been trapped in some cases in my body for extended periods of time. There's one other thing I'll throw in there, which you're probably going to tell me that you do anyway. It's intermittent fasting. You know, and if you get those four things together, you get those even those three, but those four things together, it really does weaponize, you know, uh, the human capability. And I say weaponize in a a, a peaceful way. (laughs) But um, from your perspective, you know, you've come from an environment that would be considered high performance in the corporate space. But now you're playing in a, I guess you could say, a high performance conscious space. How different is your life now versus what it was going back when you were that corporate high flyer?
0: it's completely different. It's completely different. I mean, you know, um, um, I'm not drinking and and doing other things. Um, My relationships with myself, my relationships with people, I mean, literally every single building block of life is probably different from the way it was then, you know, Um, I still have friends, you know, great friends from those days, beautiful. Um, So, you know, maintaining those those, uh, relationships has actually been key. Um, but, but at a, at a base level, everything's changed. And to talk about those four things, which you mentioned, I mean, I, I knew I liked you, man, cause that's exactly where, <laughs> where I'm at. It's exactly where I'm at. Um, and I didn't come to it. I mean, this, it kind of came, as I said before, a little bit organically, yeah. I was just kind of following a thread, you know? Yeah. And, and if it exactly made sense, the then I'd, 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 bring it in. You know, I wasn't kind of, and, and that's, that's where I've ended up. I mean, there's a couple of extra things, um, on top of that, which, 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 which I do as well. Um, but by and What large, else do you do? Oh, just, and I'm sure you do too. That these are just kind of, they're almost like subtitles un- underneath those four things, like things for me which are ultimately important is um, uh, journaling, for example. Um, yep. And just this kind of idea across all of that, this idea of ritual and discipline and making everything sacred, you know. Um, like I get up at a certain time in the morning and I, I, I kind of have my, my my rituals in place and these are all kind of what I call sacred acts, you know, you know the meditation, the journaling, etc. cetera.
1: So, what does a day in the life of Asher look like? Like, what is your routines? What are your routines within your routine of a day?
0: Well, in the beginning, you know, the beginning point is is just that, you know, it's getting up, you know, pretty early, um, you know, five or six in the morning. Um, hopefully, five if I'm if I'm on my game and uh, and sitting down to meditate. You know, even making a cup of tea is one of those things that becomes sacred. You know, yeah, right. Um, and then and then sitting down and doing some journaling. Um, and, and then basically, uh, well, the meditation would include some breath work. So th- it's kind of a, a combination of, and then some form of movement. Uh, and that's basically it. And then i be, and then I begin my day, but it has to, it has to start that way. And that's, that's, that's my time, you know, and, and I've got a little five-year-old. So, um, if that means getting up way early, you know, f- to make sure that that's all done by the time he awakes, and that's basically what happens. And, and I think that, you know, happiness is a byproduct of discipline and that seems, um, and that seems sometimes counterintuitive but for me that's the way it works certainly in my life
1: so now with what you do um, I'm going to assume that you work with a whole range of different types of people and characters and calibers do you see a consist consistent issues being echoed you know at all levels of with the people that you work at when it comes to you know what is it you do what what are the biggest problems that you find yourself solving
0: um, I could answer that through talking about um, the hero's journey in Joseph Campbell. You know, I think I think our lives may seem very disparate and we all have these different stories, but there's kind of a, um, a thread which runs through all of our lives, you know, and I can say look, let me speak about it for a second purely through, um, through um, the lens of of men, um, given kind of it's where my head is at at the moment, because I'm running this, this course at the moment um, for guys only. but. You know, you get all these men together in a room, and when we start talking, we find that, like, you know, almost 99% of their lives are exactly the same. It's just that, you know you fill in the blanks. And and there's this been idea, as you said, about putting their walls up around the heart, as you agreed with, and and then at some point in their life, something has happened, and it's kind of knocked them off their perch. And it's often at that point that I get a phone call. So we, we, and when I look around the room, I'll see a bunch of guys where you know everything's been fine until it's not and and mm. and, the, and the dial's been turned inwards and they realize that you know something's been wrong for a long time and they need to look at it you know and if you look at for those i'm sure many people will be familiar with the hero's journey that's that's the way it works you know we're kind of called into descent called into the abyss to to go and look and face our own mortality and it's in that place when we actually enter the descent through our wound that's where we find our gift and that's where we find Gold that we can then, you know, return and and be of service to the world, and that's that's yeah. the arc of my life.
1: Yeah, right. You, you talk about rite of passage and working with men on 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 creating a rite of passage, and the rituals that I'm going to assume that are within that. What does what does that look like? You know, obviously going back to when we lived in a, in a more of a, a community, tribal, family-orientated environment, you know, a rite of passage was a lot more evident, especially in, in other cultures. You know, in Australia, we don't have a very strong set culture. We're very multicultural, I guess you could say, and so most people's form of rite of passage is schoolies. Um, when you work with someone on their on rite of passage or when you talk about this concept of rite of passage for a man or for a masculine, like what does that look like?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say schoolies because you know having lost this idea of a rite of passage and initiation for boys to become men, it has become that, and literally it's been boys initiating boys, hasn't it? Which is kind of what schoolies looks like. And um, to some degree, um, if there's no elders around, you know, it's 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 people that don't know much teaching people what they know, which is not much. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so you, are yeah, that, right. That's, that, that's kind of what schoolies looks like, you know. So I think it. it there's probably a distinct lack of elders around now um like true elders and i think that a lot of older men you know myself included for a while like i'm over 50 now but it's like it almost feels like um you become an elder just by right of your age um Mm. and that's 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 um that's obviously incorrect like you've got to earn that place and you've got to want to take it on it's got to be proactive um, I was listening to, uh, do you know, Stephen Jenkinson often wisdom He's a very beautiful, nah, beautiful nah. man. He talks in this That's space amazing. a lot. Um, and he was saying that, um, a lot of older men will say to boys, respect your elders. And he was like, well, um, be respectful mm. and then I'll respect mm. you. you know? Yeah. Uh, and he feels that there's a bit of that missing in the world. So I think a lot, one half of the rite of passage is, um, for 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 a boy to actually find elders that can take him on that rite of passage and i think we need to remember is that's generally speaking not your father you need other men yeah right and so when
1: you're working with men you're obviously working with them at a stage of life where they're well beyond what would consider the normal time to take a rite of passage i'm going to assume
0: well i think so there's always time um yeah and i think that um it's different these days i think um a lot of men i think are finding that place where they, where something happens to them maybe around 35 or something like that um is, is, what, is what i see. i mean that's that's very general it could be could be anything but that's generally what what, what certainly i'm seeing um and f- these days the rite of passage can often be as simple as coming together with a brotherhood of men like you've never and sitting and actually talking about hey you know what's going on for you and actually letting down those walls a little bit you know often that sort of healing space of, of, of a bunch of men sitting together and doing that work is, is the beginnings of a rites of passage and initiation in itself. Because I think a lot of men don't feel that they have permission to do that. They haven't given mm, themselves what? permission to do that.
1: Well, actually, I was going to ask, why do you think that is?
0: Oh, look, I think it's um, it's what we've been taught. You know, this is this this is the information that we've been handed down. Um, I remember uh, um, listening to an, an elder, um, uh, he was a, a native American Indian speaking about this. And he said that, um, the three curse words that, that a lot of American boys hear from their fathers is be a man. Ooh. And I was like, wow, that's Ooh. really impactful because there's so much loaded in that, you know, around, you know, don't cry and, you yeah. know, don't show your emotions and all these sorts of things. And if that's, how we're defining being a man simply through those three words, then it feels like we've got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, so, what's next for you, Asha? You've you've you're you're still on your journey um, with with your treatment, I believe.
0: Yeah, although it, look, it's an interesting one, man. I mean, I think um, you know, I'm 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 lucky in a sense. Um, it, it, yeah, there's, there's so many worse varieties of cancer one could have. I always, I, I, I kind of joke and I say, if you, if you could put your hand in a, in, a, in a bucket of cancers and pull out the one that I had, you'd be pretty grateful.
1: <laughs> That's a great perspective. And so what does that look like for you, mate? What, is, what, is, what does treatment look like for you? What does uh, self-care look like for you with, with where you're at in your journey?
0: Yeah, look, it's, you know what, man, it comes back to those four things that you said. I just, you know, I'd, no, I'd, right. I just need to look after myself and I just need to, you know, be careful with with my energy and and just, just you know, it's just about, you know, the, the logical steps that one should take to stay well. I mean, it's really interesting, I think, to myself that the life I was living before um, and, and not doing all those healthy habits, potentially getting cancer might prolong my life because of the changes I've yeah. made. Right. Yeah,
1: that's so interesting, isn't it? Mm. That's so interesting. You know, I was, I was only thinking about that this morning. <clears throat> you know, I've had a, a pretty hectic couple of, I think everyone's had a pretty hectic couple of months, couple of weeks. And, and I started thinking a couple of days ago, man, I just don't feel myself. And then I looked at it as well. First of all, let's look. let's look at what are the routines that make me feel good? And at that point, i have been on holidays for a week and I had to meditate in like five or six days. You know, I haven't exercised at this point now in like three or four months. And I just started again, looking at my little routines and my little rituals. And I was like, and it, it took me less than three minutes to go, okay, I now know why I feel the way that I feel because I'm not engaging in those, in those routines that make me feel better. Um, But there's a level of awareness that I think is required for people to get to that point where they're willing to take responsibility. What do you think prevents most people from developing the level of awareness that's required for them to, you know, take that level of ownership and accountability around their own situation, because I'm sure you see it with what you do. There's a lot of people that are in situations and when you get into it, it's very um, extrinsic. Well, I'm here because of this. I'm here because of that. And it's very, very rarely is it internal. What do you think is the biggest um, obstacle to people building levels of awareness that enable them to own more of their shit?
0: I think it comes back down to story it's mm. like these, these stories that you've been you've been telling yourself and have become completely programmed into your life because you know we're just meaning making machines we are just basically you know we're just basically a bunch of stories all of us and um if you're not looking at those stories and understanding what it is that you're kind of telling yourself on a daily basis i don't think you're going to be able to get there it's like for someone who's trying to lose weight for example there's probably a story in there which says i'm a fat person or i deserve to be fat and i would argue that there's almost nothing that that person can do in order to keep the weight off until they actually mm. change that story you know mm. um, I, I had this story because i'm six foot six and I'm, I'm a fairly skinny guy like i i spent a lot of my life with a story that i was skinny right and and i'd, I'd argue that if i went to the gym and pump weights every single day i probably wouldn't put on that much muscle it would just get leaner and leaner and leaner because that's the story that i've told myself about my body like i'd get stronger probably but the muscles probably wouldn't wouldn't um, it, it would just be lean and strong because I'm I, my story is I'm a skinny person and it comes back to my cancer and um, you know I can briefly touch on that if, if, if I've got time but around sure. the, the story that I, I was the, the story that I feel that, that I'd been telling myself from a young age was around protection and 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 that, that I needed to protect myself and protect others from from the outside world and um, that was very clear through my childhood that that was that, that was something that was 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 um, what I thought was required. And so obviously um, with, with, with what happened with my sister and, and, and my mum, there was a sense of failure that I wasn't able to protect them, um, oh, you know? And so this story that I've been <sighs> telling myself about being protector, protector. But I guess when that story is going through the body, the body responds by overprotecting. Mm. And if, if you look at my cancer, my cancer is actually um, 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 over proliferation of platelets in the body. what what the (laughs) platelets do in the body they protect yeah
1: they protect you
0: so for me yeah huge right so for me um staying well a large part of it is is undoing this story of protection that you know can't protect everyone and actually sometimes it's unhealthy to to protect people too much from stuff that they need to have happen in order to grow um
1: especially interesting when you look at the possibility that the cancer is even Prolonging your life based on your previous lifestyle mm-hmm. in a very unusual way—it could be perceived as a form of protection.
0: Yeah, yeah, you you could do that. You could take that yeah. leap. But for me, it's about, um, yeah, it's it's just it's simply about retelling that story, you know, and mm-hmm. and 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 changing that perspective, changing that viewpoint, and and weaving a story which is which is more helpful, um, and 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 gets rid of all those self-limiting beliefs.
1: So you've got a five-year-old daughter, is that right? Five-year-old son. son.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Jack.
1: Jack. Um, And so I dare say you're in a new phase of life now. Um, This is your first child.
0: Yeah, it is. And think about the fact that, like, he came into the world um, after I got diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Wow. So there's. Has it changed
1: your world? Has it changed your world
0: considerably? Considering
1: like all the aspects of your life, everything that you've been through, where you're at right now you know there's got to be a level of acceptance but also a level of attachment around life especially this new life that's come into yours yeah uh, what's it like being a dad
0: yeah like everything man i mean you talk about life it's it's everything's a you know double edged sword light and dark whatever you want to say but it's like for me it's like what a reason to stay alive but know, uh, but right. but also, how hard will it be to say goodbye? Because yeah, you know, the likelihood is it you know or, or not, who knows? But my life you know could be shorter, and um, as could anybody's though. Isn't that the whole point? Yeah. Like, you, know, yeah. you know you know what I get people saying to me, Cohen, all the time. How does it feel knowing you've only got a certain number of days left to live? And I'm like, you tell me. Like a dude, you tell me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they go, yeah, I'm but, probably going to live longer than you, buddy. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> this idea of terminal. Like we're all terminal, brother. You know, it's
1: Humanity is a terminal condition.
0: A hundred percent.
1: One of the things that's become really prevalent for me, you know, being a dad over the last six and a half years is really becoming conscious of what I'm leaving behind and not so much in the form of, you know, wealth or material. It's really in the form of, yeah, like a legacy. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you've been through a lot, you know, in your life. Um, are you at the stage now where you're starting to think about what you want to leave behind, what, what that legacy looks like?
0: yeah you know um, it's actually the word that's been floating around in my head a lot so you, you pulled it out from there yeah the word legacy because I think certainly you know as I said post 50 you start to think about um, you know what you w- what mark are you leaving in the world after you've gone and mm-hmm. I think that's 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 a big part of the journey for me right now um, and I'm certain that what I'm doing now um, is going to be much more impactful on my son and others than, than 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 what I was doing previously although I but at the same time I certainly wouldn't throw out that stuff either because, you know, you, you need that, you know, in some sense, you know, let, let's look at it through this lens. I, if I hadn't of um, of say been as financially successful as I was through that part of my life, then I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now to the same degree because mm-hmm. there was less pressure mm-hmm. on, on having to make it work financially. Um, so it's all it's stepping. All stones. Balance. Yeah, it's all step. It's all exactly. It's all in perfect balance and it's all stepping stones and you, and you, you need all of it. So for
1: people who want to find out more about you, Asher, you know, the meditation, um, uh, the heart math, the breath work, where where can people find out more information about you and what you do?
0: Probably the easiest point is just, you know, my website, AsherPacman.com. So from there, everything else kind of, um, you know, all, all the coordinates are there, brother.
1: Fantastic. Well, we'll put a link in below so everyone can uh, find it nice and easily. But Asha, thank you so much, mate. Thank you for coming in and, yeah, for being candid and sharing your story. Uh, I know it's n- not necessarily going to be an easy story for anyone to, to share, but especially for those people who are listening, it's, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull on a few heartstrings. But I appreciate you going there, buddy.
0: No, man, I appreciate the opportunity to, to have this conversation.
1: Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Asha Packman and this is Unstoppable. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments. Help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com, and also check us out on all social media on the handle at KerwinRay. Thanks for joining us.